Remember, it took 48 hours to dub down cool water. Bruce and, and Carl and I were there for two sunrises, if you can believe that. It felt like Lewis and Clark just discovering the Grand Canyon or something. <laughs> to the Sail On Podcast. This is Wyatt in Nashville, Tennessee. Thank you guys for being with me. I'm so glad to be back with you. We've got a great show today. Um, unfortunately, I'm sure most of you guys know, we lost another very dear member of the Beach Boys family. Brian Wilson's wife, Melinda, passed away just a few days ago, and um, we're all heartbroken for their entire family, and especially for Brian. Really did not expect this, and uh, sending all the good vibrations his way. Yeah, it's just really sad. I haven't really gathered a whole lot of thoughts on it yet, but we'll find some way to do a tribute when the time is right. And, um, you know, in the meantime, just be kind to one another and hug the ones you love and tell them how you feel about them. We're going to keep doing what we do. So um, celebrating the music of Brian and the Beach Boys, we're going to keep going. And there's so much love in this music. I hope uh, Brian feels the love back. Here's Will and John. Hey man, they expect me to play this woo machine. Easy, you haven't learned it yet. You've got to have, first of all, the elements. You've got to have good air to breathe. We, the way we can help is to make a record and more or less present the facts in some interesting manner. Not boring, but in some way that people can retain these facts and to sort of set up in their minds a goal to get rid of this. Hey guys, we've now gone through almost all of Sunflower, but we have one more song to cover, and it is a song with a very long history that we have sort of given over the past several episodes, going all the way back to the Smile episodes, uh, and that song, of course, is Cool Cool Water. Uh, this is a song that conceptually Brian started tinkering with in 1966. He sort of messed with the musical ideas and the 
concept of it for several years before uh, we get to the Sunflower version. And there are many different iterations of the song that almost made it onto other albums in between. And so we're going to talk about all of those just to give a complete history of the song. And we also know much more about the song and all these different versions than we did while doing those episodes. So we hope that this will sort of be a guide. So let's start at the beginning with kind of going back to the Smile era when Brian first got inspired to write something about the elements, the natural elements. Yeah, so I was sort of just going to take it like a like a big documentary of cocoa water and everything that led to it. Um, and I'm going to stop playing. I'm going to put the ukulele down for, for a while. Um, <laughs> I like it. So yeah, so, so this song has like a long, long history. And to kind of talk about where it comes from, you've got to rewind all the way back to when Brian and Van Dyke Parks were writing the Smile album in about September 66. Um, this is when Brian was interested. He was reading a lot of things at the time and he was you know, developing this concept of how to get this message of, of 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 a lot of concerns that were on his mind at the time into an album, into a record. He was talking thinking about the environment, he was thinking about healthy eating, healthy living. And it was all kind of all connected into this it sounds quite sort of fragmented, but a lot of the ideas Brian was thinking about at the time, but they were all kind of like gelled into his sort of ground theory of spiritual enlightenment and how that would work and how that would be communicated to the public and he had a strong feeling about how it was, you know, it was important to be physically healthy at the time. I remember there's like something where he's talking about the other Beach Boys and summarizing them. And then for Carl, he says physically down, like he th- <laughs> was his description of Carl. Like he, th- he thought it was very important um, to for your body to be, you know, healthy and organic vegetables from the earth and then waters from the earth and and the sky and the sea. And it was all kind of this awareness of the natural world and and that, that was kind of, to him, that was kind of an important ingredient in this um, sort of grand quest he was on at the time. Um, and he started kind of thinking about doing some sort of thing about the four elements because he was really into astrology. He was all about his star charts and things like that. And he wanted to do something that would represent the four elements and connect to nature and bring about people's... And then the, the idea was kind of awareness of the environment and... You know, it was it was kind of people people weren't really talking about this stuff so much at the time. He was kind of a progressive thinker, but in the sense, I don't think he was very in depth with the way he thought about this stuff. It was kind of smog. We've got to do something about it. But you know, he was kind of exploring all these ideas on a mad trip of creativity. Well, his idea of how to get rid of smog was to call the police. <laughs> because I'll tell you something: if it doesn't subside, I'm going to call the cops. Yeah. So with Van Dyke, he was. He sort of, um, there's a list of, of song titles that Van Dyke wrote on a lyric sheet at the time that just sort of ideas for things to work on, including vegetable, um, not vegetables at the time, and, you know, things like, like, it's like an idea to do a Cowboys and Indian song, and then there was one that was um, Ocean or Sea song. So Brian already has this sort of fascination with something to do with the ocean or water, and he wants to get that into music somehow. Um, and then they kind of came up with this idea for some sort of song that would be called The Elements and the, Van Dyke gave over a lot of lyrics to Frank Holmes at the time who was the artist who did the drawings for the Smile booklet and he didn't give lyrics for this thing called The Elements what actually happened is he just called them up over the phone and explained what they were going for here and kind of talked about how it would be about you know organic living and and 
just natural surroundings, and it would include the first, it was include the phrase somewhere my vegetables. So that was kind of <laughs> vegetables and astrology meet in the in the constellation Vega or Vega or however you want to say it. Um, but that that wasn't yet a song. That was just an idea. That was kind of a concept he had. And very shortly after this, Frank did his drawing for the booklet, where he incorporated you know a pool of water, and then it had vegetables. So it was kind of bringing some of these different elemental ideas together. Not long after that, they ended up sort of breaking this vegetables idea off into its own song called Vegetables. Um, you know, and that was a separate thing to the elements, but it kind of came out of that same pool of thought. And then Brian started, started to rethink the elements as kind of a four-part suite that could be on the album with um, sections sort of representing fire, earth, water, and air in kind of creative ways. Um, so, so the first kind of important thing he did towards that was in the middle of October, we're working on the smile stuff, he hired Michael Vossi as kind of a personal assistant. Um, he also was there to set up the film division of Brother Records, which never ended up coming to fruition, but it was he was part of the kind of Brian's circle of friends at the time. And one of the first things he did with them was he took him over to Michigan, where the Beach Boys were going to be recording a live album, um, with Brian producing from offstage. So, so they took a trip up there, and there's an article at the time that says um, Brian's explaining to an interviewer like the reasons he's come over to Michigan, and one of the things he says he wants to do is to record the sounds of water, which he's fascinated with at the minute. I don't think he needed to go to Michigan to do that, but you know, um, <laughs> he bought this Nagra tape recorder and gave it to Vossi to run around town, just recording all sorts of water sound effects, just collect everything he can. And well, while they're in Michigan, they recorded like a cab driver. Um, out of Chicago, giving directions and explaining, you know, they got like a basketball game and stuff, and they got some sounds of some sprinkler sounds and things that they compiled. And when they were back over the next couple of weeks, they basically spent, you know, time just going all over Los Angeles, just good, like down to the beach, like knocking on people's doors to record their taps and stuff like that. Um, just recording all these water sound effects that were probably still, might still exist somewhere, who knows. Um, and the idea that Brian explained in this water thing was he thought he said that somewhere in all those water sounds would be all of the notes on the musical scale there'd be 12 notes somehow in all those sounds and he'd be able to go through them and splice out those notes and like turn that into a song and that was kind of like i mean that's that's not something you ever be able to do with analog editing it's obviously with the digital editing you probably probably could pull that off but um yeah, that was, that was kind of the conceptual idea behind all these water sound effects. And he also had an idea to do a whole album of water sounds on Brother Records that he was setting up at the time, because just now that for all of his creativity and he, he liked the sound of water. It was, a, it was a pleasing thing that you could record in different ways, and he was into that. Um, so, the, so the next thing, on October 27th, um, <laughs> there's this postcard that Brian, there's quite recently on Earth, that Brian sent to Michael Vossi. Um, to arrange a short film shoot because this is right after he'd done the Good Vibrations video with the Fire Hats and um, he was kind of on a roll thinking they're going to get into films at the time and he has this postcard that's like um, hey we're going to do a new short called Water it's going to be set in a big clean backyard with trees, ivy and flowers and to find the nicest most able cameraman which I love that that's O'Brien and he's going to do the soundtrack for it soon um Obviously he didn't, as Brian tended not to with a lot of the ideas that he came up with on the spot at the time. But that's just another thing he was thinking about. He was going to do some sort of water short film. He was going to do a film of a chicken wearing tennis shoes. You know, he was into all that sort of thing. Well, let's talk about the uh, the psychedelic sounds. 
Because that's another just brief little water idea. Yeah, so November 4th, they did a session for Surf's Up at Weston, and then after the session was done, Brian and friends taped a few things that, like, they've gone around on bootlegs for a long time, they're quite famous people, um, have talked about them a lot in the whole smile circle and how important they were. Really, it's just one night of recording things with his friends as experiments, but they filled up like an hour and a half on tape with with this stuff. Um, and a lot of it's just like stone sort of psychobabble and strange conversations. And then eventually they get into some comedy skits, like Brian getting stuck on the piano and stuff like that. And then it, it kind of starts to get interesting eventually when they start doing all these chanting. Um, these chanting, this chanting. And this is something Brian was into at the time through, you know, he was studying meditation. It was like a whole year before Mike and all the others discovered TM. Brian was taking some meditation classes at the time. And all this all this stuff about chanting, they would apparently do it around the house. You know, they would do, uh, quote-unquote, Hawaiian and Indian chanting. Um, oh, what's that part that you said sums up pretty much all the smile that's on these things? It's where Brian just starts starts chanting about vegetables and he says maybe maybe it'll be an indian thing and he just makes it you know this starts doing this native american cartoonish chanting about vegetables i said that pretty much sums the whole thing up i got a big bag of vegetables i got a big bag of vegetables i got a big bag of vegetables Oh, I got a big pack of yeah, so, so they start doing this, all this stuff, and it's kind of um, no music. Lee's, Brian's very strict about that. Van Dyke's like, hi, hey, wh- wh- why don't we try whistling? And Brian's like, no, no music. It's just using words rhythmically to sort of evoke just a feeling, and this is the sort of thing that they do. It's like a TM mantra almost, but about vegetables and about beets and carrots. Um, and they try a few of these. They do a few different vegetable chants, and then they get into exercise-themed ones. They do some chanting about swimming. Um because there's that whole exercise thing. And then they get in do some doing some water theme chants, you know. <laughs> They're all trying to get the feeling of kind of being in the ocean and going like fishy swim swim and dolphin, dolphin. All that stuff. And then it gets to like down on the ocean floor. But that you know, making eel sounds and at this point Brian kinda of takes it more seriously and is adding these echo effects onto it and stuff and giving people um, specific parts. And it's actually quite cool. It actually like briefly, these um, this tape becomes quite interesting to listen to. And there's an article that uh, Vossi Rafatine said at the time that recounts Brian listening to this thing back afterwards and saying, you know, this is quite an interesting direction. I want to try something like this with the Beach Boys when they come back from tour. So it's something that he was not necessarily going to put this on a, onto a record, but he liked the idea of having, you know, these sort of like this vocal chanting that it sort of evoked a feeling of a place and he wanted to do something like that with the Beach Boys. Yeah. Um, so with all these projects and all these little sound experiments, uh, water was in Brian's mind as just a, a concept, uh, which he hadn't yet really written a song for. Um, and it's, it's kind of a strange one because it, water, if you think about it, is something that he had written about a lot. Um, in the early days of the Beach Boys. I mean, you have yeah. Lonely Sea, which he did with Gary Usher. Those are all Brian's lyrics. Um, you have all the surfing music and, a, a, you know, Catch a Wave, which is sort of a, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of uh, songs where water plays a really important role uh, in the early hit-making days. And I guess Brian sort of had a, a wanted to get across some sort of broader um, theme in a song and he hadn't yet really found a way to do so yet. These are all just 
little experiments and ideas, most of which went unfinished. And there were probably even more that he came up with and told his friends about and then never followed up on. Um, but one thing that he did in November, which earlier when we did the Smile episodes, we hadn't really narrowed down when this happened. Um, but he and Marilyn and Diane took a trip to Big Sur um, where they rented a truck and went all the way up and Brian just sort of immersed himself in the in the nature of it all. Um, and that was a conscious attempt to become inspired to kind of carry out this elements idea. And after he returned, the next recording he made was the... Um, was the fire section of the elements. So we think that what he was doing at the time was this this four-part elemental suite, and he only got so far as recording fire. So a lot of people um, like to theorize which, which songs or which pieces of recorded music were the other three elements, but he never got that far. Um, there's nothing from the smile period that says the elements water. Yeah, one of the most discussed things in the Beach Boys like fan community is like, what were the other elements? And the, the thing is, he just it was the it was part one. He never got further than that. Um, but the ideas he was trying to put into this suite did become other songs, did become other things, and they carried on. You know, I, I like what you're saying about how it's all in kind of like the early hits and stuff like that. We're all about surfing and the sea. And I remember there was um, a Q and A Brian did once where he said like his his strongest, most vivid childhood memory was the first time he got taken to the ocean which I thought was quite profound. So I'd never heard him say that before mm -hmm. that point. Um, there's, a, there's a mic quote I'm trying to find where, yeah, Mike was talking about the start of the group and he said, you know, back when him and Dennis would go to the sea and would be fishing and he'd be surfing, he'd say, he said, uh, yeah, we're always involved living by the sea, getting what, into whatever there was to offer from it, which I think is a really nice way to sum it up. Um, they've always had this sort of connection to the ocean, the Beach Boys. And it's like this primal expression of, of that thing. It's like distilling it to its like raw sort of element of of trying to trying to put that into a record somehow. And this was on Brian's mind for, for a long time. Yeah, it's it's almost similar to the concept of Surf's Up, which is, yeah. again, taking the, um, the very specific concept of what the Beach Boys originally sang about and turning it into something broader and more metaphorical. And, and this is just you know, going as broad as you can get and just saying water and looking at all the other elements of nature, fire, earth, and air, and yeah. somehow um, evoking that with music. And he got so far as fire. And um, as we know, a couple weeks later, a uh, building across the street from Gold Star did catch on fire. And this was Brian when he was at his most paranoid. And so that sort of sent the whole elements idea um, you know, that sort of set him off from completing this. He he was too scared to release the fire music. He thought that he was putting out bad vibrations. I was just going to say, um, Cam Mott, who's, uh, he's done so much research on smell stuff over, over the years and put together, he's, he's done so much great stuff to really unravel the specifics of the timeline and bust a lot of myths and He's um, done some digging into fires in LA at the time, like um, crazy level of research, and and uh, worked out that this fire that took place actually was on December twenty first, and it was at a laundry across the street from Gold Star. So it was about three weeks after the fire thing. It was quite a while afterwards, and there weren't really any other things. There weren't any any other nearby fires at the time that would have been, you know. But Brian was apparently sending like David Andale out to check 
are there more fires going on at the minute in in LA than usual? Is there something funny in the air? And there there wasn't really, but there was this fire that was right next to Gold Star, and it was quite a big fire. Um, and that was it's it's interesting if you look at the timeline of the sessions because that is it's it's kind of exactly when Brian starts kind of recycling material and losing track of where he's going with the album. Um, so so yeah, that that's kind of an interesting footnote, and also as well, just back on the Big Sur thing. This is this is this tape of them talking about Brian driving a big pickup truck up there. I just find it funny this contrast of Brian going up there to get himself immersed in the natural world and getting in a drag race with a pickup truck, and apparently you couldn't start the car or whatever. But um, anyway, when they got back, they got a heated pool installed in the backyard <laughs> of Brian's house, um, which is a big thing at the time. It was you know they had the the tent, the sandbox was. Um, either already there or it was soon to come and the gym and Brian was doing all these things to his house at the time it's kind of an outlet for his creativity as well and part of it was this heated pool that everyone got invited in everyone had to go in the pool and have business meetings in there and stuff and a, a very interesting thing that Paul Williams who went to uh, rock journalist who went to visit Brian just before Christmas he hung out with the Beach Boys for a couple of days and Brian took him into the heated pool in the backyard at night and Brian was kind of talking about this thing of when you're in the pool and it's this certain temperature and you emerge out of it. It's like the feeling of being born, which I think is, is so fascinating connected to all the things Brian was getting into about, you know, rebirth and and life and death and childhood and all of his songs like Child's Father and the Man and Surf's Up and um, his whole sort of spiritual awakening thing with LSD. And he's, he's kind of talking about the feeling of water connected to the feeling of being born or reborn and stuff. It's It's a fascinating sort of little aside that I think would make sense of possibly make sense of how some some themes and some songs changed and developed later on but anyway um to kind of talk about how this starts to develop into cool cool water it isn't cool cool water at first it's a different song um and what's going on there in the middle of december is related to heroes and villains and what brian's doing with that because he's working on this song and it seems the thing that he keeps getting stuck on is the second part of the song you know after the opening verses what do you do next and he tries out the I'm in great shape thing, which was his first try to bridge. He records that December 19, and then he quickly decides not to do that. And his next idea that lasted for a while, and eventually is in the final single, is taking the bicycle rider part out of Do You Like Worms, because Brian was really fond of that piece of music. Um, even though it was in the wrong key for Heroes, he tried to make it work anyway with kind of a splice and a weird beat. Um, once he's decided to do that, Do You Like Worms doesn't really work as a song anymore in Brian's mind because that's, you know, the bicycle rider part and the whole change, the mood change to that is the whole thing about it. Um, but he has this idea, he has this other piece of music he's been working on and it seems like what he did was he wanted to use the opening of you Like Worms somewhere because he worked, you know, on the session for that one. They spent like, filled up a whole reel of takes for that one, like 30 second piece of music. They just, Brian wanted the feel of it to be absolutely perfect. It was kind of, you know, it's one of these real like brian being as perfectionist as he ever got on that one particular section of music um so december 21st they have a session at columbia for vocals on this song and what brian did is he went back to the original tape for worms got that section copied it over to eight track again but without the plymouth rock rollover vocals he ditched them he didn't you didn't keep them with it and it's on that tape where they the beach boys added those sort of hawaiian-esque backing vocals over the intro On the same reel right after that, 
And Brian tapes this backing track for a new song that's titled Dada on the track sheet, which we know the full title of it was Love to Say Dada. Um, and basically, this is a full song at this point. It was released on the Smile Sessions box set, um, kind of in a bridge form. That it was cut down just to fit on the discs because you know there was so much packed into that set. But it was a full three-minute backing track for a song. It was a Brian playing piano on um, piano with tape strings for this staccato sound, and somebody else is flicking what sounds like a lighter lid for percussion on it. And this is a full three-minute long song. It's kind of all based around this little sort of like this little sort of climbing chord progression. It's only 12 bars long. There's not a lot to it. And he repeats that as a series of verses, kind of brings it up a fourth as kind of a bridge section, a few more verses of the same thing. And then for a fade out, he has the same thing repeated in three, four time. So it's, 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 he's not got a lot to work with, but he is basically laying down a, a backing track for an entire song here. That's going to be maybe a replacement for do you like worms. Um, and then in, in the fade out, um, after after the, the take of that one, he just did one take for it. He's heard on the tape saying, let's put them together. So kind of the implication of that is that he's re- taken this section to you like worms, put new vocals on it, and then right after that recorded a new song, and then the end of it saying, you know, let's stick them together. So it seems like he was using that as an intro to this new piece, new song now. Like he's he's put that piece of music in Heroes and Villains, and there, his replacement on the album is going to be this thing, and uh, those two are going to be stuck together. Um so yeah, this, this is a, this is something that is, is I don't think ever been talked about before us right now speaking about it. But um, yeah, that's a, that's a thing. <laughs> yeah, sort of a new discovery with um, you know they just keep coming with the smile error because there was so much switching around and and everything. But yeah, by late December 1966, Brian had this full vision of of this new smile song called "Love to Say Dada." Uh, which musically will become Cool Cool Water. Uh, but it's not connected with water directly yet. Um, so let, let's talk about what it is <laughs> What it is about. And we have a um, description of Brian writing the song from Marilyn, um, who described Brian drinking chocolate milk out of a baby bottle while he was playing the song <laughs> on piano. Yeah. <laughs> um and we have of course the title Love to Say Dada. So again this this is um connected with his ideas about life and and birth and and this is um this is a song about a baby. Um Yeah, and and initially his baby song was Child is Father of the Man. I'm not sure if he still had that song here or if there were going to be two baby songs on the album. It's not really clear. Um mm. on that session he's he's talking directly about the trumpet being the baby in the song. Yeah. <laughs> the little Wawa trumpet. Oh, I but, thought about that. Um, yeah. <laughs> this is his new baby song. Uh Love to Say Dada. And that's that's of course, yeah. you know, supposed to be um a baby and it's and his first words. Yeah, child is father of the man. Dada, father, you know, it's it's all the same thing. It's all the same thing. It's all connected and it and it does come back to the whole water thing yeah. as well with what you were talking about, how he mentioned the whole water. Birth idea having to do with birth. Yeah, and I, I think mm-hmm. that that may be the reason Brian ended up changing the theme of the song eventually, but for now it was it, it was a baby theme thing. Um and I think also the reason part of the part of the reason for that is Van Dyke was kind of not around at the time when he was doing this. Or maybe he was kind of in and out, but at that point him and Brian had stopped writing together as consistently. 
and uh, Van Dyke would come back to work on Heroes and Villains. But for a while, Brian was kind of without a lyricist. You know, he was doing You Welcome, which is just Brian's lyrics. And this one, you don't need lyrics because it's from the, it's sung by a baby and all, the only words are Dada. And the, the melody for this, it seems, would have been the part <laughs> that Carl eventually sings in Cool Cool Water and Sunflower. You know, that da, da, dun, 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 da, da. Pretty sure that's the way Brian wrote it, you know, just at the piano and singing that line. Cause it, um, so, you know, you don't need lyrics for that. It's just a scat vocal song. Well, yeah, it's just it's just Dada. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Over and over again. <laughs> so well, one thing I sort of wanted to touch on as well is Brian's melody writing at the time, which never really gets um, too much attention because, you know, it's kind of all this chord structures and stuff. But in the Smile era, a lot of the music is very simple in the sense that it's sort of just vamping between two chords. But Brian was really... He talks about it in a 66 interview. He was making, you know, he was really concentrated on being melodic at the time. And I think you find that in a load of the songs where you'll get kind of a fairly simple back and forth chords. And then there's just so much melodic information and they're so reachy and playful. And especially this one as well, like there's no words to it, but it's such a, it's so singable and it goes so many interesting places. And kind of Brian's thing at the time was he was just trying to fit, you know, like Child's Father of the Man. Um, heroes and villains with the back and vocals it's like you take one little idea and have like three or four melodies that could all be songs going on at the same time um but i think it's a, that comes into play later on when the when the song develops but i just think it's something you never really acknowledge at the time that brian was kind of at the top of his game and coming up with melodies at the time that didn't really need words to go with them and the other one i always think of is the ukulele part of little pat which is just gorgeous like there's no words there, but it says everything he needs to in the music, and that's kind of what he's trying to do here. Um, yeah, well, a lot of uh, Brian's writing just gets attention because it's so, because harmonically it's so impressive. Yeah. Um, in the way that he arranges it. But in the Smile era, like you said, harmonically he was almost getting simpler, and he was just figuring out how much could be done with two chords. Yeah, exactly. Uh, in terms of yeah. vocal arrangements and in terms of melody. Um, sort of weaving up and down around those chords. And, um, you know, this this does have a changing chord progression uh, throughout because it is a longer song than we initially realized, but it's a lot of just back and forth. This track was went unfinished and so did the next, but you have to imagine what he could have done on top of it vocally with the Beach Boys. Yeah, it doesn't get a lot of attention because it was so unfinished, but, you know, this was an entire track for a song and the way you would build things up at the time like vegetables you put a piano down and then overdub loads of stuff on it but this is just one that didn't make it um so instead of making that edit that he talks about at the end of the take with you know the intro to worms kind of a strange change you know it kind of dro- would drop down from c to b like half a step it does work it's just kind of an odd you know it's it's, it's not something brian hasn't done before um but yeah it's, it's it, but instead of making that edit it seems like he just wasn't satisfied with the first take so we went back and recorded a second take which was on the Fender Rhodes electric piano, which I think is the first time he used, he's used a Rhodes. He's not a big electric piano guy until the 70s. Um, so he did this new basic track, tightened the structure up a tiny bit, um, just took it took like one verse out because, you know, it's just a load of repeating verses and then there's that modulated bridge in the middle of it. Um, and then he did kind of a pickup take for the fade out, which is the three, four time thing. And then he didn't put it together. He, he put it, did an overdub on this thing, which was the tape strings piano again, as a baseline, um, but there's kind of mistakes in that overdub, and it was wasn't un- it wasn't finished, and it seems like Brian basically just gave up on this idea before the end of the session, and the whole thing was parked for a while, um, and that's why it went no further. He didn't finish either of these tracks. Yeah, so, so we've got that thing, that interesting sort of little curio, um, 
as a sort of maybe replacement for Do You Like Worms on the album once he's rejigging some of these songs. And jump forward to some, some one of these sessions in late January or early February. Brian uh, brought that piece of music back and just sort of experimented with using it as like a little bridge section Heroes and Villains when he was toying around with that one again. Um, it was the same day he recorded the track for Cantina uh, by the sounds of it. And uh, he's taken this little little sort of vamp and moved it from B to F sharp now. And uh, yeah, do you want to talk about the session? Because it's not like a proper recording this one. It's kind of sort of just like Brian captured writing something in, on tape. Yeah. Um, so the, the longer session of the song, which isn't on the box set, um, at first it's capturing Brian sort of recording this bridge section for Heroes and Villains, which is love to say da-da. Um, this was at the time when he was sort of um, taking apart all the Smile songs in hopes of just coming up with some part of Heroes and Villains that satisfied him. And and so he was sort of discounting all the material he had as separate songs and just sort of mining his own... Mining basically all of Smile to make Heroes and Villains work. Mm. And he starts off recording this section... Uh, for Heroes and Villains. I'm not sure what he was going to do on it vocally, but it is just love to say da-da on the piano. And halfway through the session, he sort of reworks it. And I think the engineer is confused and just thinks that he's doing more takes. But what actually happens on tape is Brian starts rewriting this piece and kind of searching for a chord progression that'll work um, into whatever section he has next. And he actually sort of changes the whole structure of the song midway through the takes and he could be heard on piano playing you know going through all the different vocal transitions um into whatever the next section is going to be Yeah, he's just sort of going through all these different riffs and kind of like just working them out on the spot. And um, he doesn't get like he kind of he's, it's just like a really short part of this start, like love to say Dada pro- progression. Um, but then he's like kind of like he's he experiments with like repeating it to be longer. And then he's like goes through a few different like whole new bits of music he's coming up with in the spot as a transition. And then by the end of it, he just sort of like junks it and says, you know, like that that's fine. That's leave it there. And. Um, he also tells people he's got some friends watching in the in the control room and he says that in the like the pauses when he stops, um, he wants to have a lot of talking, which is quite interesting. He wants to have a lot of people speaking in the gaps. Um, brings to mind Little Girl I Once Knew, in, in a way, with Mike's little bit. Um, and he also, he's kind of, he, he goes on at the end and he tells his friends that he wants to explain to them what he wants them to do on the track. So he's got some ideas here, but he doesn't get a master take for this section. He's not sure what he wants to do with it. And then like very quickly afterwards, he goes back to the song, just having Cantina as the bridge and he's fine with that. He doesn't use this um, any further. And then the, the title all day, I'm not really sure what that's about, but that's what he was calling it at the time. And then this is parked for a few, for a few more months. Flash forward a few months, uh, what has happened is Brian sort of worked Heroes and Villains um, too hard and took a break from it, came back to the studio in April and decided to 
rework Vegetables as the next hit single. Uh, got as far as mixing that and then took another break and this is when we get that report that Smile is no longer going to be the next Beach Boys album. There's another little break and then Brian returned to Gold Star uh, with a load of session, session musicians. And this is sort of the last large-scale uh, Wrecking Crew session he did for a long time. And he decided to record Love to Say Dada again, but now as a full uh, full instrumental arrangement. And um, we're not sure what he was going for here, if, if, if he was thinking this was going to be the, next, the Beach Boys' next single in place of Heroes and Villains, or if this was just going to be a B-side or an album track, or if he was just sort of not thinking that way and just recording music. Um, but sort of strange here, he he records the piece in sections like most Smile songs, but instead of uh, sort of getting it all done in a you know in a, in a concise three-hour session or with some overtime, he just records one piece per day. So there were sessions for May sixteenth, seventeenth, and eighteenth, and, and he booked one on on the nineteenth as well that he cancelled. So he had this four-day block of studio time, and he knew he was going to take it easy and kind of do different arrangements and different combinations of instruments and musicians each day did this thing and it was kind of brian's taking it easy at this point his, his whole kind of psychology was kind of changing about the way he made records he has the beard when he's he's doing these things and uh yeah so brian talked a little bit in the sunflower two liner notes about how the first day he moved into his new house on bellagio road he moved into this big spanish mansion where we, which will be the site of most of the Beach Boys sort of activities for the next few years. Brian said that the first day he moved in there, there was a piano and he went there and he sat down and he wrote Cool Cool Water. Um, that can't be quite right because he's already written this thing as Love to Say Dada months earlier and now it's still Love to Say Dada, but maybe what that was was him sort of just take, going back to the song and thinking about how he could change it around and coming up with some new ideas. On May 16th, the first of these sessions, he goes in and records a new piece of music, which is an intro. It's called Part One or Intro on the Tape Box, and um, well, really, this is the bridge of uh, of Do You Like Worms. This is, you know, yeah, yeah. Wahalalulay, um, Wahalalula. This is, um, it's the same two chords back and forth, and we know that Brian earlier was using the intro of Do You Like Worms as the intro. So uh, those two songs are are now fused in his mind and, and uh, this is sort of just using a, a darker, you know, minor key version. Um, and all these arrangements are, are really cool. Um, these are some of my favorite pieces of smile music just to put on. Definitely. Yeah. I know I talked about that many, many episodes ago. <laughs> I just, first off, I just want to say that Brian sings a little bit of the melody during the session and he's singing uh, love to say doo-doo. So he had words in it. It wasn't just a scat vocal at this point. He was had the words love to say doo-doo in there as a, as a, as a, as a lyric. Um, he has a really cool arrangement. It's actually quite a small section of musicians, but it sounds huge. It sounds very big and rumbly. And I think, you know, when people talk about Dada as the water element of Smile, it wasn't that, you know, and it was connected to Cool Cool Water later, but this is a piece of music that to me always just sounds watery. Like, I can never separate it from watery sounds in my mind. It's got like the the rumbly detuned pianos and the, and the sort of drippy tempo block sound to it. Um, the musicians on this one, he's actually got Gene Estes, the percussionist, playing the piano on this one. Uh, Mike Rubini's playing attack piano. 
Bill Pittman and Lyle Ritter play in a Dano bass and a Fender bass. The bass line's very busy on this one. It's a really cool bass line. It kind of just rumbles around and around. Um, Hal Blaine's on drums and Brian's playing the Temple Blocks. I'm guessing the reason Gene Estes is on the piano is because Brian had a specific thing he wanted to do with the percussion and he took over and did that instead. So that, this is this is a really cool track. It's a short piece of music and it's, it's interesting that this is all Brian did on that day. He went in the studio a three-hour session and they recorded just this very brief fragment um, and he called it a day he was kind of Brian's very sort of relaxed and taking his time on this stuff yeah and the the same thing happened for the next few days uh, we just get one section at a time yeah um, part two is the main uh, sort of theme of this whole episode it's the you know the main body of love to say Dada which will become cool cool water and second day which is recorded the next day, the second day, <laughs> is a, another variation on it. So I'm not sure if that was a replacement or if it was just the next verse of the song. I think it was the next verse of the song because we've got the 66 Dada and it's got like all these verses it repeats and stuff. And I think that's what he was going for. I think he was going for mm-hmm. a three minute song here and um, this would be the next section. But I'll talk about the part two um, section. It's kind of, he's, he's, the structure's changed a little bit from what he did before. You know, he kind of, he had this... Um, he modulated it up a fourth for the um, for this kind of bridge part, and now that's kind of like the ending. It goes through a couple of verses and then does that thing, but it drops the the pauses for that one. Um, the arrangement for this, it's got Brian on the piano, Mike Rubini's playing the Hammond organ, Carol Kay and Bill Pittman are on guitars, Ray Pullman's playing a six-string bass as well. This clicky high bass part. Uh, Lawrence is on the Fender bass again. Hal is on the drums. Gene Essie's on the claves. Um, and Jay Migliori and Jim Horn are playing clarinets, this really nice line that uh, Steve Bonier pointed out to us that it's from Chapel of Love again. Brian's going back to Chapel of Love once again for this melody, you know, the kind of the hook of the song is kind of reharmonized in this, this clarinet line. Um, really nice arrangement. It's, uh, it's cool stuff with the guitars in this one. And an interesting thing about the session is right at the end of the take, Brian sort of launches on the piano into another section, which is, is what he's recorded in March or April. This new version of the Child is Father of the Man theme, which he's swapped uh, one of the chords out to a major chord. Instead of going from minor to minor, he's going from major to minor now, so it's a new thing, and he's got this new vocal arrangement with the Woe Child part in there. He starts playing this as, as, uh, as a section after um, the take ends and the musicians kind of follow along and it breaks down. Uh, but this kind of, there's evidence in some later recording he did for Cool Cool Ward that this was going to be a bridge section. That that thing, just whole cloth, the Child's Father of the Man section is now just part of Love to Say Dada. And it fits with the theme, you know, it's it's the childhood song, it's the baby song, it's the yeah, it's it's the Dada song and now he's got the Child's Father of the Man thing in there. Um, and that just would have been what it is. But he never recorded it properly. He never actually got like a master take for that. And I think it's likely that the the cancel session on May 19 would have been for that section. The other thing is Brian, um, Hal Blaine was singing a little bit to himself during the session. Brian sings the Dada melody as well, and the organ player kind of copies it off him. Um, but yeah, at the end of the session, Brian and Hal got together and overdubbed this Wah Wah Ho Wah. Uh, bass vocals that are chant throughout it 
Um, the only time I can think of where Howl playing is a vocalist on a Beach Boys song. I guess because Mike was in Europe at the time. And they sound, they sound cool singing it together. <laughs> it's really cool to have the two of them singing in unison. Yeah, it's just sort of like this Hawaiian sort of like faux Hawaiian thing he'd been into. The, it's kind of like a baby noise, you know, wah, wah, ho, wah. It's, it's like that, but he's doing it in a silly deep voice, which is kind of funny to put a baby vocalization in that Hal Blaine voice. Wah, wah, ho, wah. Boo-doo, boo-doo, you know. Um, <laughs> wah, wah. Yeah, um, so after after these three sessions, or I guess we should talk about the second day arrangement. Yeah, May 18th, they did part two, second day, which is slated by the engineer. It's the same piece of music, but a new arrangement of it. It's a completely different arrangement. Very airy, very light, and very um, sort of breezy sounding. They're playing two pianos with the tape strings now. It's got that whole plucky staccato sound that he tried out on the session way back in December. Um, Bill Pittman's playing a classical guitar, this nice melody that eventually became the vocal line at the start of With Me Tonight. Um, Ray Pullman's playing a fuzz bass, which is like a very gentle use of a fuzz bass. It's an interesting touch, but it doesn't sound like an aggressive fuzz part. It's sort of just there as part of the texture. A guy called Mel Pollan is playing upright bass. Frank DeVito, the drummer on Surfing USA, he's playing the bongos. Gene Estes is tinkling some nice wind chimes, and then you've got Jay Migliori and Bill Green on piccolos or flutes or one and the other. Um, like a really nice arrangement, but they did two takes of this thing, only the second take was complete, and then Brian, it seems like he just sort of junked it, you know. It's not leaded that take, it's not circled as a master take, it, it kind of sounds like Brian just ditched the session halfway through, and then he cancelled at short notice the, the next day's session and sort of just put this whole thing away. Unfortunately, a, a common theme with these sessions um, and with the whole Smile project, really. But yeah, this is this is most of what would have been a a uh, track for Love to Say Dada either a Beach Boys single or B-side or or something else. Um, and it's really cool. I mean, it's all it's all got that awesome sounding echo. It's got that gold star magic to it. Um, but no no Beach Boys vocals, unfortunately. Just Brian and Hal Blaine mm -hmm. singing that um, low part on part two. So now... Um, Brian takes the song and he finally takes this music and his and his water ideas which have been in the back of his mind for a little while and puts them together and we finally get cool cool water So, yeah, this is on June 7th, and this is after the group have got back from the Tour of Europe in May, which was quite troubled because of Carl's draft problems and they were getting criticisms of the sound. And when they got back is when they sort of got together and decided to start recording more material for an album. 
There wouldn't be what they'd done before. Brian wanted to start fresh and do something lighter and easier. So they spent a few days working on With Me Tonight, a few different variations of that. And then June 7th is when they're at Weston and they finally do the first version of Cool Cool Water. Basically, yeah, what Brian's done is he's just taken the main part of Love to Say Dada, he's taken the pauses out of it, and he's just reworked the theme into a water sort of song. And it's very simple, very direct, and he's kind of taken on board the whole chanting idea from, from November of 66 with, you know, the chanting about being on down on the ocean floor and and underwater and stuff. And it's kind of taken that and put it in, into a musical context. He's got these little sort of vocal phrases that evoke sort of the feeling of water, but now they're all kind of wrapped in melodies and, and overlapping each well, other. Well, I, I wonder if he was going to do any, any, any kind of... Uh arrangement like this on Love to Say Dada with the overlapping vocals or if that was just going to be a melody um, but this this whole idea of just having you know everyone has their own part and there's really no lead voice is really cool um, yeah but it's, it's, a, it's a lot like Child's Father of the Man kind of it's a similar sort of thing to that yeah yeah exactly and um, yeah having everyone do their own little vocalization about water to a melody is really cool and like you said he was doing that without music with his friends uh while the beach boys were away but but this is <laughs> this is way nicer on the ears and it is a it is a good idea that works musically yeah what, what you're saying about the, the melodies though like the um in dada part two the the first version the sort of high clicky bass line becomes the line that um al or carl at different times sing in this in this recording it's the drip drip part you know the um, that, that bass line kind of turns into that and then the clarinets become the hammy some cool cool water thing that Carl sings so he's kind of he's taken parts of the arrangement I don't think that would have been different melodies I think he kind of that was his sort of vehicle for a lead and now he's changed the whole concept of what it's going to right, be right right he's taking what the instruments were doing and, and sort of transforming yeah. them into voices now that he has this really simple just it's just a harpsichord as the backing track yeah, and it's like one minute long. I mean, first of all, Chuck recorded the group uh, doing this little sort of rehearsal around the piano, which is really beautiful. It's um, a little bit of it was rec included in the smile sessions, and they're just sort of running through the parts live while Brian plays the piano to see what it sounds like. Um, Mike's got his, his bass part. Um, Carl's singing the Hand Me Some Cool Cool Water bit. Al's going drip, 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 drink a little. And then Dennis has the, the melody that was the lead melody last time, and Brian's not singing because he's playing the piano, and they sort of just go through this um, rehearsal. And Brian tries an idea as well um, that he doesn't record in the master take, it's sort of this stop time idea where he'd sort of like just take the main progression and go... And then kind of the voices would continue sort of a cappella, and then eventually it would go back in the main thing. But he, he didn't use that um, at the time. Um, so yeah, so then they did. They went to do a proper backing track and Brian went over to the harpsichord instead of the piano, which is kind of an interesting well, choice Well, not only for this that, one. but harpsichords always kind of remind me of uh, water. Yeah, they've got that sort of mm -hmm. drippy sound to them, haven't they? So he, he gets a take of this and then the Beach Boys try doing vocals, but they didn't finish the vocals in this thing. Um, for the Smart Sessions box set, Mark Lynette kind of very skillfully edited these things to make him sound more complete, you know, did some copy pasting, did some editing to remove the talking. Um, but they basically only did like some of the, most of the vocals in the first verse kind of didn't get as far as doubling it properly. They got sort of an unfinished take of that. 
And then they ditched it. They just, you know, Mike is on the tape saying like he can't sing it because something's not right. And then they sort of just like ditched this version. It wasn't complete. And, you know, they, they do this sort of like these ASMR type vocals where they're like right next to the microphone sort of whispering really closely. The parts shuffled around for this one. Mike still got the cooling, so cooling, cooling me part running through the whole thing. Brian's doing the hand me some cool, cool water part. Carl's doing the drip drips. And Al has a new vocal that's like, uh, and uh, Dennis was in the control room when they were doing this. So I, I guess he probably would have put his um, the Dada part on later. Um, yeah, it's, it's such a shame that they didn't finish this one. You know, they, they sound so liquidy on this one. Yeah, I, I, I love it too. It. One, two, one, two, three. So fast forward a few more days again. I'm just thinking, God, we've got so much more to go through still. We've barely even started. Um, so Brian had his living room of his new house converted into a sort of makeshift studio for them to record Smiling Smile. And the first thing they worked on there was um, Heroes and Villains and this Kingston, uh, Kingston Trail Good News thing. Um, but then after that, when they started working on more songs, June 15th, Brian did a new version of Vegetables. And the same day as that, uh, June 15th, he recorded this thing that's come to be known as the Water Chant, but at the time it was written on the tape box as Fade for Cool Water. It was like very clearly, that's what it was. It was, it was a tag section for the Cool Water song. And Brian did this track on the Baldwin organ. It's just these playing an E and a B, just these fifths yeah. that are like like a bagpipe drone sort of is, is, is kind of the way I'd think about it. Um, and yeah, they, they added these vocals and this is a section of music that is not like anything else Brian Wilson has ever recorded, I don't think. Yeah, it's completely unique. It's just these, this, uh, these droning fifths on the organ and four tracks of vocals uh, with four vocalists each. Again, it's Brian, Al, Carl, and Mike. Um, and it's it's loose. I mean, it's the loosest thing I think that Brian's ever recorded. There's no rhythm. There's no beat or anything. There's no you know, click track or or drum machine or any kind of hidden percussion. He just kind of recorded these um, recorded this this chord for about a minute and then stopped. And then the vocals are just on top of that and it's 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 one of the most evocative pieces of music he's done i'd say maybe even more so than uh you know fire yeah it completely it really does capture like with not much to it it really gets the feeling of being underwater and and just gets that sort of like primal elemental thing that he's, he's wanted to try and capture this they have this intro which is great they all sing water 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 in unison and then it they overdub like a sort of echo part to that and then after that, it, there's no rules to it. They're sort of just drifting off. They've, they've kind of loosely got their own notes, but they're sort of just riffing and is improvising around that. It's Carl's on the top, and then Al's quietly in the middle, and Brian is lower down, but he's still singing high up and up down and just making up stuff. And Mike has this great sort of meditative, trippy chant. Van Dyke Parks described this as um, a miasma of some new breed of transcendental mock asiatic chant. Um, half hoppy, half Himalayan, definitely new age stuff. Yeah, this thing's weird. It would have so, <laughs> so, so it would have been a fade out for some version of Cool Cool Water, not the one we've just heard. I think the the idea would have been to record a new version of the song for Smiling Smile that they didn't end up recording, but this would have been the fade out to it. That date as well, knowing this is from the Smiling Smile sessions, it was thought for a while to be from the Wild Honey sessions, but this was cleared up by you know John was doing some work in the in the Beach Boys vault warehouse and. 
while he was down there, got the tape out and took photos of the box to compare the handwriting and the date that was written on it and stuff. So that was some real primary research. You held the tape in your hands to, to work out when this was done. I did indeed. <laughs> yeah, I'm jealous. <laughs> Just for you guys. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about um, what Brian wanted to do with Cool Cool Water around this time or with water in general. So this was around the time when Stephen Desper was introduced to the Beach Boys and began working for them as an engineer uh, with Brian's new home studio. And going back to what Brian wanted Michael Vossi to do um, with water sounds and sort of making this, uh, having this idea of of taking different notes and putting them together into a song uh, just from sounds of water. Uh, he had that idea and he, he presented it to Stephen Desper, who is a very, very ambitious engineer, um, as you all know. And he sort of went with it and, and tried to create this this machine, like this keyboard. And do you want to sort of describe this, Will? Yeah, I'll go through the, the, like the technical side of what he was trying to do. So Desper's background, he worked at MGM, he worked on sound films, and then he was a, he was, um, a road mixer for the Beach Boys. He went on, out on tour with them that year, and then he was doing the Monterey Pop Festival. And he, he he kind of he wasn't a full time engineer. He helped out with Jimmy Locker at the home studio, and then sometimes filled in for him. But um, at the time, the Beach Boys got these things called um, they got a Chamberlain. Basically, they got two of them. Actually, it's basically this thing that's um, like an American version of the Mellotron. It's uh, does the same thing. It plays these programmed tapes in there. You push a key, it'll play a sample of some recording, and you can get all sorts of sounds like strings and flutes and you know guitars. It can do anything. But um, the thing with the Chamberlain is if you're smart enough, you can put your own tapes into it and then have them, you know, have the thing produce whatever sound you want. And Desper kind of heard this idea of Brian's of this um, playing water drops on a keyboard. And he's probably the most ambitious, you know, creative engineer they ever worked with. He got beyond being just an engineer for the group. He was a real creative partner in what they did. And his first thing he he did for them, his first job for Brian was kind of... um, so his idea was to go out and record all these water sounds and uh, put them in the chamber and so they could be played as musical notes and you could have a keyboard that played water. Um, and to accomplish this, he had a friend at UCLA with this machine, this huge prototype machine that did the same thing as um, the Altro Information Rate Changer, which is this device that could, like, analog thing that could change the pitch of, of um, recordings without changing the speed, which was... Something that was very hard to do at the time. You know, digital editing, you can do that with like a click. But at the time, if you change the speed of a recording, it's going to change the pitch up or down if you slow it down or speed it up. But this thing, it could change the pitch of something without altering the speed. Um, so Desper, basically, he got an, an agri-tape recorder just like Vossi had. And he hiked out to Northern California for, in I think he said it was about two or three days hiking, going up to the mountains, recording waterfalls and streams and babbling brooks and... He'd go back to LA and recorded like um, oil dripping and stuff. And then he took all these sounds and made copies of them um, and then put them through this this machine that changed the pitch. He'd like, you know, you see he'd have 25 notes for every sound. And then this Chamberlain, I think they had two models. They had one that was like five octaves and then another one that was two and a half octaves. So Desper made all these copies and then loaded them in the Chamberlain. And by the end of it, you'd have about four or five different water sounds that you could play every note on the musical scale of, just the same sound, just the, the pitch of it was changed. Um, and actually having this machine in the house at the time is apparently the reason the Beach Boys 
used the the pitch shifting on She's Gone Ball because it was there and they wanted to see what it could do. And then that's where the idea to speed up, well, not speed up, but make the, the vocals go squeaky and high. So that, that was around at the time of the Smiling Smile Sessions and that's when he was making this thing. And uh, yeah, it's quite, quite a remarkable sort of invention. And by the end of it, he had invented a water keyboard basically where you could play water sounds as musical notes. And he said Brian came in played it for like five or ten minutes said it was nice and then it was never touched ever again um never recorded brian you know he said this was like a few at least a few weeks or months of work and then brian just you know noodled around and it's like oh that's nice and then just ignored it it's just insane <laughs> yeah it seems that it seems that that would have been used for a smiley smile home studio version of cool cool water uh which may have incorporated that uh, water chant as the fade, but Brian just never did that. He just recorded a bunch of other songs and never really got around to it uh, until he had enough songs for the album. Um, so unfortunately, that machine, it's never been heard. I don't know where it is. I mean, well, the the tapes were, were um, taken out of it and the thing was sold, apparently. Um, I think it's a tragedy that this thing was never recorded, mm. but... It, uh, Brian mentioned it in his One for the Sun podcast when he was talking about um, he remembered the final cool water not being a synthesizer but being that mo- thing that Desper invented. So Brian remembered it even though he got he, he was mistaken on what they used it on. It was not a smoke synthesizer. It was called what the heck you call that way, instrument? Anyway, it was an instrument that had program tapes on it. And you push one of the keys of the, of the keyboard and it'll like it'll go like a, like a uh, you know, late, what do they call that? A, a rooster? Or you push the thing and you get like water drips, like drip, drip, drip. So we program water drips, drip, 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 drip. Yeah, the one, 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 one made the other one happen. One instrument will get you, get you like a bass or a guitar. The guitar will get you drums. Drums will get you percussion. Percussion will get you violins. Violins will get you back. It's endless. <laughs> so yeah and Jasper also said that Brian was going through one of his superstitious phases and then he got fired for a couple of months which I guess explains why Jasper wasn't on the Wild Honey Sessions um, the things you do when you invent a water machine for Brian Wilson um, Jasper actually still has these tapes all these different pitch shifted tapes and he had this he floated this idea on a forum a while ago of he could digitize them put them online and people could you know take them and put them in a VST and kind of recreate digitally what this would have been and I hope he does that I think it would be fascinating to hear what this would have sounded like uh, maybe it sounded really bad maybe that's the reason Brian didn't use it but I I think it's just the, the like as a concept having this sort of analog thing is the fact that he realized he actually went to the lens to physically realize that zany idea of Brian's is really cool so let's talk about the um, about the wild honey track Brian came back to it again in October 67 when they were working on the wild honey album this is on October 26th according to the AFM sheet although there's a only semi-reliable at this point and Brian recorded a new version of the song, which was kind of a more like livable production. It wasn't just a harpsichord track and vocals. It was he was trying to like arrange a track for this one now, um, and it was on an early track lineup for Wild Honey before they'd finished recording the album. So it was part of the the plan for this LP. Um, but before he did the one that everybody knows, because this is obviously this is the recording that makes up the first minute of the Sunflower song. Um, he recorded an early track that was like kind of a flirtation with a longer structure for the song, which is heard a little bit in the smile sessions. It was edited down a bit. There's um, there's like a longer one that floats out there, out there that's also been edited down quite a lot. Um, the way Brian recorded this was it was like a three and a half minute long song. It was a whole sort of expansion of Cool Water, just a basic piano track. Never took it further. One take of it. 
um, play these two opening verses as in all the other versions, but then he goes in that Child's Father of the Man bridge that was hinted at in Dada. Whole five rounds of that same length as the recording from the Smile Sessions. Um, it would have just been, I don't know if he would have like adapted the child lyrics to just water things and then had the same arrangement. It's quite interesting to think of what he would have done there. Um, after that, he goes in another verse and then he has this new sort of minor key bridge that's um, quite pretty. And then he, he tries the stop time um, idea again. He has this, just the main vamp, just going like, leaving it hanging until the vocals sort of go over it, sort of semi acapella. And then he has another verse with a fade out. So this is like a, a fully structured song at this point. It's like a three and a half minute thing. He's fleshed it out into a full, a full piece of music, but like it seems as Brian does, within about 10 minutes, he decided he didn't want to do that. So they, they then recorded a new backing track, um, which is just, again, a minute long. It's the same as the June version. It's just a minute long piece of music, and that's all it would have been. Brian's playing his piano with tape strings on this track, and Carl and Al are playing guitars in this. Carl's playing this nice little sort of high-up melody, and Al's playing these wobbly sort of harmony notes. Um, he's wobbling the, the whammy bar on his guitar, and it's, it sounds very... I, I love the guitar sounds they got in the home studio at this time. This is the very mellow. I love very it too. Fun. Um, yeah, the 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 guitars all across Wild Honey are are excellent. I, I love the little, I love the little held notes that they do. It's 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 such a nice watery touch to the to the track. Yeah, definitely. It sounds like it's it's really sort of breezy and. I don't know, I always get different, like, each version of Cool Cool Water always gives me, like, a different feeling of a different type of water, you know, this one's like, it's almost like this is like a little sort of pool, and then yeah. the, and, um, I feel like the Smiley Smile one is almost like being in a sink or something, <laughs> I don't know, um, <laughs> just, um, yeah, so, so they did this basic track, and Mike was on the floor helping keep time, Bruce was in the booth, and then they overdubbed a few instruments to this one, so this is like a proper track arrangement this time, there's a bass on it, which would have probably been Carl. Um, there's organ. The organ part is really nice in this. It blends with the guitars really well. It's just playing like this one F note and then going down an octave and back up. Um, and then there's also the whole group are all just snapping their fingers together. It's it's a playful sound to this one. Um, and then they did the vocals, which were simplified a little bit from last time. Mike doesn't do his part on this one. It's just they're singing three parts. Carl's got hand me some cool, cool water. Al's got drip, 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 drip. And Brian's got the cool and so cool and cool water cool and me part. They, they did this with like this um with they all sing the big water harmony at the end there's like that reverb surge on the on the vocals which is like the great shape sort of feedback thing um it's you know like the the tape explosion but a sort of more subtle version of that um and then Carl went and double tracked his vocal bite on its own and um with that the tape was full so they did a reduction mix to do some more vocals um and uh, yeah, I don't know why they did this, but then all the vocal parts were all done separately from here. Like Carl did his part on his own to double A, and then Brian double tracked his part by himself on his own track, and then Al doubled the the drip 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 part on another track, and then Mike added the uh, his little bass vocal just as an intro. Like it's not going underneath the entire track; it's just there for for a couple of bars at the start. 
Yeah, um, all the parts are kind of shuffled around from where they were on the last version of the song. I'm not sure why Mike's part is, um, you know, not fully part of this, but I do like it as its own uh, separate little thing. Yeah, the, the track in this state is what was released on the Good Vibrations box out on Sunshine Tomorrow. So they added like a couple of copies on a compilation reel. And um, they also copied the Smiley Smile Water Chant Fae type thing at the same time as this, which is um, why it was thought that it was done in the Wild Honey Sessions. But uh, that's kind of interesting that this is going to be incorporated into this new version of the song. You still kind of, this one minute long thing, and then you get the droning sort of fade out, which is kind of not in a compatible key. It's, it's, um, it doesn't really gel like w- with the rest of, with the rest of the music, but maybe that's the point. Maybe you wanted it to be like very, I don't know. That's it's kind of a strange contrast when you're playing back to back. Like in Sunflower, they added that. Um, the the wave effect which sort of bridged the transition which wouldn't have been maybe have worked so well if it was just a hard splice yeah um, I mean it's it's as far away as you can get key wise this this recording is in B flat and that um, that fade out section is just a droning E chord and that's a that's a tritone right there so I'm not sure if he was planning some kind of transition or if it was just a you know, jarring splice that he was going to do. That's what's on Sunshine Tomorrow, but then they did a little bit more work on this for the Wild Honey Sessions. They went back to the old tape and did, like, another reduction mix to combine some more parts, and this kind of explains why Mike sang his part on its own, the way Mike... um, Sorry, the way Brian mixed all the vocals together is he combined all the vocal parts to one track, and he muted the rest of the group in the intro, so Mike kind of sings, like, a solo part on his own, and then he drops out and the rest of the group all come in, so that's kind of what his idea was there. Um, maybe just because he's got like a bass guitar now and it, he doesn't want it to be too busy. They did some more backing vocals on this one. Uh, they added like these these oohs, which are really interesting. They're all like wobbling their throats to make it sound sort of wibbly and watery. Um, it's the four of them again doing a, a four-part harmony, all sort of just like wobbling away. And it's, it's a really cool sound they got here. It sounds like very liquidy. <laughs> and then they added some more parts on top of this to make it a six-part harmony. Yeah, this this thing, I think it really brings it to life having this sort of like big stack of ooze changes the mood of the whole piece of music um, and it definitely makes it more sort of liquidy. Very layered recording compared to the simpler version they were doing before. Now, I love all the vocals on this thing. I love the I love the ooze and the and all the different parts that overlap. I think it's just <laughs> uh such a cool piece of music, pun intended. Yeah, it is. It is. <laughs> So, so that could have been like a finished version of the song at this point. Like it's simple again, but Brian was into that sort of music and it could have been mixed to be put on the Wild Honey album. But for whatever reason, it was parked. And I think this this thing Desper said once, it was Brian hadn't really finished the song in his mind. Like he still wasn't quite satisfied that it fulfilled what he wanted it to do. So it was again, it was put on, it was put on hold. The next thing to cover is something I don't think's really been talked about before. This is the early 2020 sessions. This is on June 11th, 68 at the home studio. Desper had Brian and Carl do kind of a recording test just to try out some reverb effects, some compression and delay. And yeah, the, sort of a comfort piece of music for Brian. He brought, brings out Cool Cool Water as a test to do this thing. It's not an attempt to put down a new track, really, but he's still trying out a new arrangement. You know, he plays it on the, the Baldwin organ, um, really mellow sounding, and then Carl plays an electric guitar following along with the bass line. 
they go through that a few times just to just test out the equipment really just for Desper's benefit and then um Desper has Brian playing it on piano a few times to try out a few different sort of delay effects and etc um it's not much to say about that but it's cool that it's still a you know a, a running thing in Brian's mind he's still coming coming back to this music over and over and over again it must be it's been recorded so many times in so many different arrangements at this point and it's it's not he's not quite done with it yet and it's it's just keeps keeps reappearing and reappearing yeah um you know even when he's working on on the friends album and not recording the song at all and writing all these new songs um these things stayed in his mind and they were probably played just here and there when he would spend time at the piano alone um you know whether or not tape was tape was rolling so it is it is cool to just sort of validate that you know, throughout 1968, when Brian was not really touching the song, it was still in the back of his mind. Yeah, and like it's it's like Charles' father of the man as well. Like he's he's going back to that one. Like that that song must have been like put in more different places than anything else. Like it was its own song, and then it was, it went, then it was in Wonderful, then it was in Love to Say Dada, then it was in Cool Water, then it was in Little Bird, then it was in Surf's Up. You know, it's like, it's one of these things. That, these <laughs> right. these little sort of vamps that Brian just keeps going back to. Um, and then in the in the fall of this year, when Brian kind of took a step back from his role as leader of the Beach Boys and decided that he didn't want to be, you know, leading a project anymore and he wanted the others to contribute and he was going through some mental difficulties. Um, Carl and maybe Dennis, not sure who wrote this list, but in, it's on one of the Neverland Not To Love track sheets. In September, they wrote up a list of potential songs that were going to be on the 2020 album. Loads of interesting stuff to talk about on that one. But in the middle of this, they've got some smell stuff on there. They've got Surf's Up, they've got Iron Horse, and they've got um, Cool Waters in the same sort of batch of songs there as something that they want to finish up. And it seems like that they did actually do some work on Cool Cool Water for 2020 because um, it's Desper's handwriting. They they wrote up like a new track sheet. Um, clearly, this is not something that they did in 67. This is continuing with this, with the same piece of work on a, on a new tape, but it wasn't. Included on the album, they did like another reduction mix to combine some of these things together. You know, they keep mixing this tape down and down and down. It's losing quality every time they do it. But it's at this point, uh, Carl finally adds the scat part that was originally the Dada melody. And I guess I don't know if Brian had discarded that melody from from Coldwater or not. But but Carl sings it double tracked, and now it's finally part of that piece as kind of the quote unquote lead vocal, as the sort of changing and developing melody line throughout this thing. And they also added some percussion as well, which was um, Dennis and Carl playing, um, kind of rapping on sort of a, a drum rim, and uh, Carl lightly shaking a tambourine, which is very, quite subtle in there, but just, they sweetened it basically, they just added some new things to it, and then, again, that could have been like a finished thing, they could have mixed it, put it on 2020, but they didn't, again, <laughs> they missed another album. Right, and I think we're not quite sure if Brian had these ideas and wanted to work on it or if this was just kind of Carl and the other Beach Boys doing their own thing because he doesn't appear on any of these overdubs um, and Carl could have just as easily remembered that that uh, melody so who knows um, so fast forward it misses, it misses the 2020 album it's missed its third album in a row that it could have been on um, sort of missing friends I guess um, Brian has his famous now famous press conference on May 27th um, while they're doing this um, final album for Capital, where he tells a lot of journalists that the Beach Boys are bankrupt and kind of sabotages uh, these ongoing talks with Polydor and Dutch Gramophone. 
Um, in the middle of that, Brian says that, you know, that their cash situation is so bad that they're thinking about doing a, a soft drink commercial, something that they've never thought about doing before. Um, Alan and Bruce have both talked about this in a little bit more detail. They were going to do a, a Coke commercial at the time. They were going to do a Coca-Cola jingle, which married the theme of cool and so cool and me. And then they go into it's the real thing, Coca-Cola. <laughs> they kind of talk about it as if they recorded it, but no, no tape has ever been found. I'm not sure if they actually recorded this and it's been lost or if they just you know, practiced it at Brian's house, but they were going to do cool, cool cola was, was going to be a thing for a while. We did a beautiful, beautiful commercial for Coke. I'd sure like to hear it again. Cause it was great. It, it, they had a theme like, uh, it's the real thing, Coca-Cola. And then we went into cooling. So cool and cool. I mean, cooling. It's the real thing, Coca-Cola. We married those two themes together. But I will say that, uh, cool, cool water was also, but I don't think we ever released it, it's the real thing, Coca-Cola. We had a whole Coca-Cola commercial around Cool Cool Water, but we never, uh, we never completed the uh, deal with Coke. Finally, they copyrighted the song on May 22nd, just to Brian with the new uh, Brian Moore publishing company. So yeah, this Cool Cool Water was, was back in, in their minds, and they were going to do this, this Coca commercial, which is quite funny because it's like, the whole point of the song is it's sort of like as natural as you can get thinking about just the, the element of water in its most sort of like direct form. And now they're advertising like this drink full of chemicals. Great. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I never thought about it that way. That is, that is pretty funny. Um, yeah. This was around the time when Brian was working with Murray on breakaway and Brimer was their publishing company. And I think it was Murray's idea that the beach boys could get into commercials and make money that way. Murray was always trying to get them to do commercials. He was, yeah. He he convinced Dennis to do it, yeah. Yeah, he was like, Dennis, do a commercial, and then KFC is going to get a jingle, and Taco Bell are going to get a jingle, and he was always he was always thinking about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, he knew that there was money to be made in, in commercial jingles, uh, which is true, but I'm sort of glad this never happened, <laughs> or maybe we would not have gotten Cool Cool Water <laughs> as, a, as a song on a Beach Boys album. Yeah, but if they did record it, I really hope it's found, but I I feel like they didn't. I feel like it wasn't actually put to tape. Yeah. yeah. I don't think so either. Fast forward to 1970, we're finally back at the Sunflower album has been rejected by Warner Brothers. Um, Mo Austin goes to Brian's house to talk through the problems with the album and how to turn it around. And it's there that Brian plays him Cool Cool Water on the piano and Lenny Warrenker was there as well. And they're like, oh, okay, this, there's something here. You should record this. And finally, we get into late June or early July 1970, and they finally record um, more stuff for the song, taking it seriously to put on the new album. And this is going to be the thing that saves the Sunflower album. It's this kind of smile-type music that impressed the, the record execs. Something they recorded that has not been released, it missed the Feel Flows box set, was just kind of a, a quick a cappella arrangement of the track that they tried doing with everyone singing apart from Dennis. It's this new five-part vocal arrangement. It's now back in the key of C, like da-da. And all the vocal parts are completely different in this one. It's it's a whole new thing. Um, Mike's got a new bass part that's like, get yourself in that cool, cool water now. And, you know, Brian has a new thing. Bruce is there for the first time on this on this song. Um, and it's, it's like, they do a few takes and this, all the slapback echo. And it seems like they didn't really get a master. And I don't know how seriously this was taken, if it was like going to be an intro for the song or if it was just an idea that Brian wanted to try out. Um, but it nevertheless should have definitely been on the Feel Flow set. It would have, you know, 40 seconds of 
It could have it could have made it, but oh well. Yeah, so this is the first time they're sort of doing a new version of the song since uh, the Wild Honey era. And uh, it's now a five-part chant rather than a four-part or three-part. Um, yeah. And Bruce is singing. Bruce's part is um, what Mike previously had as a bass part, an octave higher. And Mike has this new bass part, um, which is sort of going to be a melody in the in the new version of the song. It's the, get yourself in that cool, cool water. And it's, yeah, just this short little experiment. But um, shortly afterwards, they, Brian sort of took the song, um, now that it was going to be this big important song that saves the Sunflower album and their, their new record deal, uh, he actually sat down and, and took this from just a simple little idea uh, that I think would have been a rather short song in any of those previous iterations. And he... Writes it into a, mm. a song with Mike with a uh, full set of lyrics. Um, up until this point, it had just been a Brian Wilson song, um, but now it's a Brian Wilson Mike Love collaboration, and we get these, um, you know, it sort of goes back and forth between the whole chanting thing and and these verses, and um, it's kind of a uniquely structured song, probably because of the way it came about. Yeah, I mean, because the, the thing that was released on the Sunflower album is five minutes long. It's like the first five-minute-long Beach Boys song. Um, but I, I think the way Brian was thinking about it is it's just that, you know, the new Sunflower section, the second half of it, his new version of the song is just that. Like, it's it, it's got its own internal structure in all these different sections. And it's much more of a songy song now. It's not it's not so, so smile anymore. Um He's, you know, that, that whole sort of like jazzy climbing progression that was the whole thing originally, that's gone now. Kind of the way it's all done is it's just that that two chord vamp that opens it, that he loved, that, you know, that feel that he kept going back to is now kind of the main thing. He now has this sort of like chorus kind of thing, which is like the, with these mic lyrics, like when the heat's got you down, here's what you order, get yourself in that cool, cool water. There's a whole sequence of bridges, like different bridges back to back. It kind of almost reminds me of Add Some Music in a way. I mean, obviously it's far away from that musically as you can get but in the sense of having sort of like consecutive different bridge parts to it mm -hmm. and then it goes into back to the main vamp for the fade out and th through all the every single time this piece of music is, is repeated it's got different different things vocally happen on it like it's got like a it opens with this arrangement of brian this brian's doing this new part it's like do 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 and then um you know mike's got his original bass vocal there and carlisle and bruce are all kind of tucked in there as well they have that little chorus bit, it comes back for the second time, the same thing, and now it's a completely new vocal arrangement, you know, Mike's got the get yourself in that cool cool water, Bruce is doing that thing that's an octave up from what, what Mike's was, Brian's got his like, coolin', coolin', coolin' me, that sounds really shrill in this song, um, he kind of starts up high and goes, ding, 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 ding. like, he got this descending thing, him and Brian kind of overlap and Brian goes up and Al goes down. And then finally, at the end, after all these bridges, it comes back to the same vamp. And it turns into, like, Brian and Mike having this fantastic back and forth, like, call and response 
song sort of thing with with all these new lyrics and it's it's a whole new piece of music kind of and the the beach boys are now kind of backing it it's not like a vocal chant anymore it's like a it's like a a two-part lead vocal and then they've got backing vocals it's just it's fascinating the way like it's the the amount of musical ideas brian can put over this this very simple feel is like incredible the song that's what the song is it's just how many melodies can you fit over these two chords a lot is the answer yeah it's it's really cool and and something needs to be said for mike's lyrics on this song um sort of ties in all the different ideas of water that brian was um sort of writing about and they're just they're awesome and 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 the line that Mike sings uh, solo during the <laughs> during the big dramatic section <laughs> in an ocean or in a glass, cool water is such a gas. That's such a good line. Great line, yeah. I mean, we've we've brought up this um, this stop time thing that Brian tried a couple of times. He finally gets that into a proper recording of the song, but it's different now. It's not just the main chord; it's like it's its own little thing. But now Mike gets his solo, and it's it's like a highlight of the song. Remember, there's a live performance on YouTube where he does that, and then there's like. All this, everyone starts like clapping and cheering. I don't know if it's because Mike did that or something. I th- I, something else must have happened. But like, I like to think that it's because Mike did that line, and it was it was so great that everyone er- erupts into applause. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it's almost like um, it almost reminds me of of some of the lyrics that Van Dyke Parks was doing uh, because there's the whole uh, you know double meaning of cool water is such a gas, you know, because water is a liquid. Yeah, um, exactly. Yeah. But you know, such a gas just means it's it's cool. Um, really great line. Yeah, and the whole from the mountaintop down to the sea, and you know, after Mike had some kind of spotty lyrics and had some music, and when girls get together, if those aren't mostly Brian, he's really redeeming himself here with with classic Mike Brian collaboration. <laughs> um, very playful, very funny, and quite smart. Um, it's really good stuff and there's also um there's a big ooh sort of section in the middle of it and there's kind of like another one after that before the final set of verses that's taken from this um the longer track brian tried for the wild honey sessions that sort of like little minor chord bridge that kind of briefly comes back and he puts some has some some vocal harmonies over it before the end so that's kind of an interesting revisitation of some ideas that he'd, he'd thrown away before oh i just wanted to say the harmonies there always give me chills i love that oh section. yeah so good yeah, the massive harmony stack, the cool, 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 cool water. It's just, yeah, it's it's just great. So we'll talk about the production, I guess, because this was just treated as, at the start, I think this was just like, this was the song. This was the new version of the song. It wasn't going to incorporate the old recordings. And that came later. Um, so the the basic track, there's, there's no outtakes for this on tape because it seems like they just edited this together and then any outtakes were taped over with... Um, like transfers of other stuff there's some tears in the morning stuff on that tape that probably erased it so we're not sure how they recorded this track but there was like um a 12 string rhythm guitar part played by carl that changes the whole feel of the thing because you know i'm just gonna i'm gonna grab the uke um because you know every every part of cool cool water is this kind of like staccato plucky like but the, the the feel of the song was kind of changed completely by this thing that carl played It like it kind of changes the entire feel of the thing, but they ditched that and they went back to the the piano quarter notes feel. It's a tacked piano with the taped strings, 
which is what he tried for the um, all day session. And it's a really cool, very plucky sound, very like brittle, and you know, it's it's very percussive sounding, and he's got some some bongos on there that I guess Desper said Dennis played those, and then there is a very 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 subtle guitar that I guess replaced the twelve string, and it is still strumming that eighth note rhythm, but it's um like the tones turned right down. It sounds like it was plugged direct, and it's kind of just like blends in with the rest of the track. And that's kind of almost all there is to it. It's very simple. But then at some point during these sessions, I mean, July 7th is the date on the AFM contract. I'm not sure if that's accurate. Paul Beaver, the famous synth programmer of of, uh, Beaver and Krauss, came by with his big Moog synthesizer and they added all these synth overdubs, which was the first time that Brian had really extensively used a synthesizer in a production. It seems like it might not necessarily have been his idea, um, Steve Desper knew Paul Beaver and asked him to come down with his synth and Al kind of pitched it um, Al kind of explained it as Brian became interested in doing this because the synth was in the house and he was like oh okay I've got to do something with that and that really defines the sound of this whole second part of Cool Cool Water all these synthesizer textures which are used very tastefully and very kind of appropriately like the you know the, the Chamberlain thing that they tried to do with the water drops that that had been, had been sold by this point so Paul Beaver programmed this this nice drip drop sound on the on the Moog that Brian played apparently in one take. There's some kind of like wobbly wobbly reverby watery drops um, that are kind of buried in there. You can hear them in the Feel Flows remix a little bit, but they, they didn't use those so much in the mix. The transitions between the sixty seven sections are done with this like big wave sound effect that's all this you know these patched white and pink noise um, things from the from the synth. And then also there's a big um, synth bass sound underneath this whole thing, which is the 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 big prominent synth part, which is just a great sounding Moog bass. That you know they they really cottoned on to using the synthesizer as a bass instrument very quickly because those early synths you can only play one note at a time. You know you can't play chords, you can only play lead lines, and it has such a rich sound in that register that they kind of were quick to adopt it as using it for bass lines. And Brian really really got into that. Yeah, the bass sounds great, but what I really like is the um, the high parts, which really, really do sound like water dropping. So credit to Paul Beaver for programming this thing for this song and Brian for playing it. it it's almost a little bit like um, like the guitars on the on the first half of the song, the Wild Honey version. Yeah, it's a similar sort of vibe, isn't it? Just these single notes that kind of just give you the feel of, of water dripping down over time. Yeah, it's a beautiful piece of work and it's very evocative and it's it's almost like ambient music, this thing. It's so laid back and chill and you sort of just like, just can kind of get lost in it as it sort of just floats by you. It's like, it's, you know, Bruce talks about, Bruce loves this song and Bruce used this, this as, as sort of in his head. This kind of proves that Brian Wilson could be like, to make great music in any era of music, no matter what equipment he has on him. And this is kind of like... Um, you know, Brian gets the synthesizer for the first time and uses it in such a clever, brilliant way on this song. Yeah, yeah, I have to agree with that. It's such a such a beautiful production um, all around. Um, so when they put this thing together, I'm not sure if this was Brian's idea or if this was more Carl or Steve Desper. I feel like it was Carl and the others, yeah, and Bruce and Al as well. Carl conferred with Brian as to how to put the song together. And to some extent, Brian had an idea, but he hadn't really finished it in his mind. 
Then the Beach Boys themselves, including uh, Alan and Bruce and uh, Michael and Carl, all contributed ideas that built on Brian's foundation. Brian's contribution was basically at the be beginning uh, in the smile sessions. Uh, he did come down and, and sing some parts, mostly parts with Carl, sang a little fugue area with Carl. Uh, but it was, it was a lot of hard work. They essentially took the Wild Honey version, so the, you know, the main progression followed by the uh, the chant that went back to it would have been a fade uh, out. the start yeah. of the home studio era. Yeah, and they they sort of tacked that onto the beginning and and wove all these sections together with this um, synthesized white noise, and then you get the sunflower version of the song, and you get this this suite that's over five minutes long. And um, Brian later said that he wished they didn't use the chant in the middle. So I have a feeling that that was not his idea to yeah. put all these pieces together. I mean, it, it works beautifully. The, I mean, the, the way it came together is, is fantastic, but it's definitely not like a, you know, Brian, you think these long flow and transitions. Brian liked quick things and concise structures and hard splices. Um, that quote goes around a lot, but what it, what it actually came yeah. from is, uh, it was a Jack Riley article in Rolling Stone in 1970 and I'm pretty sure that is where the, the sort of partial transcript of um, this first meeting between Brian and Bruce and Mike on a radio show with Jack Riley comes from although I've never been able to actually get that issue but yeah that's pretty interesting that it was Brian telling this to Jack Riley and um, that he he's something not quite right about the chant they used in the middle I, I don't think that's because I had the feeling of um, you know the, the narrative for a long time is this was a thing from Smile and it was kind of Brian had a bad feeling about it. I don't think it was because of that that he didn't want to use it. I think that's just not where musically his head was at in 1970. He was in such a different space. You know, it's so sunny and bright, um, the new stuff he'd come up with. And he, then you get this like meditative, trippy, you know, spaced out chant in the middle of it. But it, I think Brian was on board with using the 67 section, you know, the Wild Honey main verses, because what they added to it were some new vocal parts that kind of tied into the new section of the song. Like it's, um, they, they kind of adapt some vocal parts from that and then kind of put it on top of the 67 section. They didn't use some of them. You know, Mike added a new bass vocal with the get yourself in that cool, cool water thing. Al had a part. You can hear these in the Phil Flows all in the mix. Those were both muted from the mix. But Brian had this new vocal line that is featured in the mix. And it's this great um, thing where he, he kind of just comes in so sounding so enthusiastic. It's like, coolin', coolin', coolin' me. And sort of, um, yeah, that's, that's like the one new thing that's, um, that's there in the mix for that. And it's, he sounds so great on it. Um, I love in the second verse where he comes in and goes completely flat on the note. He misses it and he just left it in because it's, it's, he's so enthusiastic. Listen to that second cool in me at the start of the second verse. Brian is, it's like he's way off there, but you know, he kept going. <laughs> coolin', coolin', coolin' me. I don't think I've ever really noticed that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, now, that, now you've got this long, like five minute long suite. It's like the Beach Boys are allowed one minute, one five minute long song, and, and it's the best thing ever. But it's, um, you know, that thing I was talking about, how the different parts of Cool Cool Water like give me different feelings, different types of water. It's almost like it, t it takes you on like a journey. This song, like I, I can't escape kind of the images you get from 
from listening to this. I, I mean, I've talked to other people who've said this sort of, they get the same impression. Like it starts sounding like a, like a river, you know, it's all these parts like rushing and it's very quick and these, uh, these vocal harmonies underneath it, it sounds like a sort of flowing piece of water. And then it's like you crash out with a big wave into the ocean and then it's sort of static and still and floats around. And then it's like coming up on the shore on like a sunny beach and like splashing around a pool for the final parts and stuff. You know, it's kind of, it's very, I love the way it's kind of like a musical journey from, from all these different points in time and different arrangements and you know it's 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 an incredible piece of music when it's all put together it really is um i love just listening to the whole thing front to back i always am happy when it comes on the sunflower album um i don't know if it's my favorite song on the album i know i talked about all i want to do being up there i mean I've, yeah i've kind of i was in an all i want to do phase for a while but now i think i'm back to thinking cool water is my favorite um so whenever we talk about these things, <laughs> yeah, you pretty we much just talk about how great they are. It's like, yeah, that is a great song. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Yeah, gotta be one of my favorite Beach Boys songs. But yeah, so so they mixed this thing. Brian wasn't involved in the mix as he tended to not be at the time. And then we rushed it over to Warner Brothers that day, and got the typical A and R flip out from everybody. You know, wow, great, and uh, they were really impressed. They really liked Cool Water, and we thought it was really good. And again, it was one of those things, technically, I think, so really acceptable, but commercially so uh, subtle. It wasn't AM, let's put it that way. Great FM stuff, though. And then it was on July 8th that they had this thing mixed, and then July 9th they assembled the new Sunflower album. And Al says that they, um, he's told a different version of this in two different um, times. He said, you know, one version they brought it into Warner Brothers, and then another version, Lenny Warrenker and Austin came to the house to hear it. But basically we said they like dimmed the lights and then play cool cool water and then as soon as it got to the 1970 part like the first bass note came in everyone in the room was like whoa what's this like you know it's kind of like blasting out of brian's big monitors <laughs> you know that, that that incredible synth bass just it's it's such a new sound as well like i i don't think many people were using mode basses kind of that prominently in their music but it became such a beach boys no. thing um just this boom <laughs> You're in a whole new place as soon as that note hits. So yeah, that's that's the Sunflower album. It's a, they finally assembled it, um, rescued it from the clutches of Rev Rejection. And um, on one of the Cool Cool Water tape boxes, they were already they wrote out a track list of things that could be the next album that they were already thinking about. You know, they they wanted to get a second album for Warner Brothers quite quickly after this, and then they wrote out a list of songs that they could record. And it's a really interesting list. It uh, includes the rejects from both of the albums that. Um, you know, I don't know what they were thinking trying to again give the record label these songs that would have been rejected from from their latest offering, but you know, they were still trying to get these things out there that they were happy with and 
ready to release. It's not a common situation for the Beach Boys to be in where they, they finish a song, they have the mix that they're happy with and they want to put it out and they're told no. Because uh, they don't release so many songs, but like, good time. They wanted to put that out and they were rejected. So this next track list, um, for what could have been the follow-up to Sunflower, they've got San Miguel, Loop de Loop, Got Another Woman, which I think was maybe a late addition to Sunflower. I think I feel like they were keeping When Girls Get Together a little bit longer. And then only the last minute swapped it out for Got Another Woman. Till I Die, um, that was obviously still on their minds from when Brian brought it into the sessions in 69 for the first time. Susie is the next song. Feet as well. Um, got My Pay, Fallen In Love, Good Time. All these rejects from Sunflower version 1 that they still wanted to release. Vigi, the Mike Love song. Um, I did the biggest double take in the world when I saw that. Um, the Mike Love song from First Love. He had written it all the way back then and they were thinking about maybe recording it. And then finally they've got Old, old Man Sunshine, so full Old Man Sunshine. So they were still, you know, so I, I always find it interesting when you see these things and like I kind of reassure that the Beach Boys know that they have these songs in the can. They don't just record something and then forget about it. Yeah, but as we know, the Beach Boys would end up recording a whole bunch of new material for their next album. And it would sort of take on a, a completely different direction over time, but we're gonna we're gonna talk about that next time. Yeah, so the Sunflower album is released on August thirty first, but until that happens, they're still working on new stuff. You know, Dennis gets involved in acting for the first time, and then they meet a guy called Jack Riley, who becomes very significant to their future, and they record some more songs. But we're gonna talk about that next time in what'll be I guess surfs up part one. But they were like, you know, even before Sunflower's out the door, they're already moving on the next thing. So it's a very busy time for the Beach Boys. It's like a new beginning almost, but it's also kind of an ending for Brian really being there with them. Okay. Thanks, as always, to Will and John for their great work. We'll do one last wrap-up on Sunflower and finish up some odds and ends before we move on. That's next month. Until then, thank you guys so much. I want to say a quick thanks to our newest patrons of the show, Andrew Tompkins and Simon Bayer. Thanks to everyone for joining me. Everyone go drink a nice, cool glass of water and sail on, sailors.
All day I face the barren place without a taste of water. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 